Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Hey, listeners, this is Will Johnson for True Crime Chronicles. Reed and I want to let you all know we are taking a brief summer break for the month of July. You will not hear new episodes uh, during those weeks of July. We'll be back in August with all new cases and all new stories. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. And anybody can be a murderer. Uh, Nancy said that on the stand when the state asked her, um, can anyone be a murderer? And she said yes. Nancy Brophy and Dan Brophy had an unusually healthy and vibrant marriage right up until the very end. Nancy's marriage was so healthy that the younger people that they mentored wanted a marriage just like theirs. Your Honor, his eyes were green. His eyes told it all. His eyes were green, and they were utterly heartbroken. I had not been told, but I had not heard from him. All of his friends avoided looking at me, and the police officers knew who I was before I got there, and one police officer hugged me. This is not good news I'm going to hear. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Daniel Brophy and Nancy Crampton Brophy had what appeared to be the perfect marriage. They'd known each other for 27 years and had been married for 26 of those years. The ideal relationship, according to many who knew them. And people looked to both Nancy and Daniel as role models. 68-year-old Nancy was a romance novelist, and 63-year-old Daniel was an instructor at the Oregon Culinary Institute in Portland. He was loved and respected by his students, but on an early Saturday morning in 2018, Daniel Brophy was gunned down as he arrived at work. Brian Clerkley is a reporter at KGW in Portland. Daniel Brophy, who um, was a teacher or instructor at the Oregon Culinary Institute in Southwest Portland, was um, you know working uh, at the Oregon Culinary Institute on a Saturday morning, June second, 2018. Um, you know, that morning, somebody came into the Oregon Culinary Institute and shot him twice. Students discovered Brophy clinging to life, and he died a short time later. I remember hearing about this back in June and, you know, feeling, you know, how could this happen to somebody who's just one of the best people? I don't honestly know. I, no. I really don't. I, I'm... I don't have words to tell you the level of shocked we are. Soon after the shooting, more than 100 people gathered outside the school to remember Brophy. 
light candles in his honor and share stories about how he shaped their lives and careers. He had a heart of gold and everybody here knows that. He was really, 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 really a special, special human being. That's why we're all here. Everything that he taught us will stay with us forever. He made such an impact, obviously, on so many people, including myself. I want to be a better cook because of him. As a coworker and as a human being, I, I want to take his compassion that he instilled to so many people so that can live on. He's the type of guy that if you were going to go in and rob him, he would sit you down, give you his wallet, make you breakfast, and then talk you out of a life of crime. That is who Dan Brophy was. He did so much for so many. There's this giant hole now. Daniel Brophy was a beloved culinary figure in the Portland area. People knew him from all across the metro area. He was a beloved chef. People would model their relationship off Daniel and Nancy's relationship, honestly. Um, they never heard them fight. You know, people would come to Nancy for advice on how to make their marriage last longer. On the day of the murder in the afternoon, Nancy Brophy went to the Culinary Institute where her husband had been gunned down. Later in the day, she came down to the scene of the crime after being on the phone with her mother-in-law, Daniel Brophy's mother, Karen Brophy, um, about, you know, what was going on. And Karen Brophy was like, Nancy, you should get down there. And Nancy Brophy, who's uh, Daniel Brophy's wife, was like, oh, well, I don't know if I should go down there uh, because there's going to be a lot of police. Police are still investigating Brophy's death. They haven't arrested anyone, but they don't believe the public is in danger. They are asking anyone who lives or works in this area and has surveillance video from Saturday morning to contact them. And surveillance video from that morning would later give police vital evidence in the case. Court documents would later reveal that a minivan, presumably driven by Nancy Brophy, could be seen in the area the morning of the murder before Daniel Brophy was shot and killed. Shell casings from Glock handgun were found at the scene of the crime. Portland police later revealed that Nancy Crampton Brophy surrendered a slide and barrel of a gun on the day of the shooting, but they determined those items were not used in the murder of Daniel Brophy. We'd also learn other details about Nancy Brophy and her work as a romance novelist. In particular, an essay for a blog she'd written years earlier in 2011 titled How to Murder Your Husband. In it, she writes, I find it easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them. I don't want to worry about blood and brains spattered on my walls. And really, I'm not good at remembering lies. But the thing I know about murder is that every one of us has it in him or her when pushed far enough. It did raise eyebrows. Like maybe, you know, she was living in her own fantasy world and concocted this plan long ago and carried it out. That was very striking and alarming to a lot of people. Those books and, and the title of that essay definitely struck me uh, when I first heard about this case or when I was first assigned this case. Um, definitely something to think about. Crampton Brophy's niece, Sarah Getchell, later testified in court that she spent a lot of time with Nancy Brophy in the summer of 2018 after Daniel Brophy was murdered. She started talking about Dan and she, she started crying. And she said this, this wasn't part of the plan. This, um, 
Dan being gone wasn't part of my plan, and what am I going to do now? She also said that Nancy never spoke about concerns in her marriage and overlooked a lot of issues to keep the peace within her relationship. But behind the scenes, investigators were building a case against the wife of Daniel Brophy. And in September of 2018, just over three months after the murder, a grand jury indicted Nancy Brophy for murder and unlawful use of a weapon. The indictment showed Crampton Brophy allegedly used a 9mm pistol to kill her husband. The stunning break in the murder of an Oregon Culinary Institute instructor. Police tonight have arrested his wife for the crime. Back in June, we saw Brophy's wife at a vigil in this very parking lot. Tonight, she's behind bars. Today, Portland police arrested 68-year-old Nancy Crampton Brophy at her home for the murder of her husband, 63-year-old Daniel Brophy. On June 2nd, students discovered Brophy suffering from gunshot wounds at the Oregon Culinary Institute in southwest Portland. Paramedics tried to save him, but he didn't make it. Brophy was a longtime instructor here at the culinary school and beloved by his students. Our cameras again captured his wife at this vigil put on by students and coworkers, where you can see hundreds gathered to pay their respect. Crampton Brophy is lodged in the Multnomah County Jail on murder charges as well as unlawful use of a weapon. She'll be arraigned in court tomorrow. And the next day, Nancy Crampton Brophy made her first appearance before a judge. Nancy Brophy appeared on a video screen in the courtroom. She didn't say much and remained mostly expressionless. Those that know the couple say they can't believe she could be capable of killing him. I miss Dan. I think he was one hell of a guy. And I love Nancy, too. I think she's one heck of a gal. And I don't think that either one of them is deserving what they're what they've gotten. We spoke with a friend of hers who said writing about murder doesn't mean she did it. But that doesn't mean she wants to murder her husband, and I certainly never saw that side of a person that could do something like that, because Nancy isn't that type of person. Period. Lock, stock, barrel. She's just not that type of person. Brophy pled not guilty, and at a bail hearing, a judge ruled that she would remain behind bars leading up to her trial. Following year, newly released court documents laid out some of the evidence investigators had gathered since the murder. To look at the one secret documents, including several search warrants in all, hundreds of pages of court records were unsealed today, revealing how police used surveillance video and a handgun to help link a romance novelist to her husband's alleged murder. A search of Nancy Brophy's iTunes account showed she'd bookmarked an article titled 10 Ways to Cover Up a Murder, according to the court documents. The court documents suggest Nancy Brophy can be seen on surveillance video driving her minivan in the area around the time of the murder. There was no sign of forced entry and nothing was stolen. The documents also indicate Brophy recently bought a Glock 9mm handgun. Shell casings found at the crime scene appear to come from a Glock, say police, although not from the same weapon she'd purchased. Detectives say Brophy is the beneficiary on several of her husband's life insurance policies valued at over $350,000. And in the months following his death, police say she tried to cash in. At the time of her arrest in September, police say Nancy Brophy asked, you're arresting me? Then went on to say, quote, you must think I murdered my husband, end quote. Motive was insurance money. Um, apparently she could have, um, she was set to gain over a million dollars in, 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 life, in life insurance or not just insurance, but other assets. Yeah, if her husband died. And they were apparently in a tough financial situation. They were borrowing money out of their retirement to pay the mortgage and, you know, uh, 
just not doing that great. And she wanted to be an expat in Portugal, according to the state. Um, and Daniel Brophy could not provide her with the life that she wanted. So the state claims that she got so desperate that, you know, she killed her husband. Nancy Crampton Brophy finally went on trial for the murder of her husband in early April of this year. On day one, the judge ruled that Brophy's essay, How to Murder Your Husband, would not be allowed as evidence in the trial. And in a trial that lasted for more than seven weeks, prosecutors stood by their claim that Crampton Brophy stood to gain a significant amount of life insurance money from her husband's death. They brought in multiple witnesses to support their claim that the Brophys were facing financial issues at the time of the murder. They also focused on that surveillance video of a minivan they believed to be Crampton Brophy driving around the area of the Institute the morning of the murder. But the prosecution had other evidence. They claimed Nancy Brophy researched and purchased a ghost gun kit online. By late January 2018, Nancy was once again searching for information regarding Glocks, including whether or not the Glock had a kickback when fired. The prosecution maintained that Nancy Brophy bought a Glock 17 handgun at the Portland Gun Expo and then separately purchased another slide and barrel designed to fit that Glock. But on the defense side, they claimed Nancy bought the gun as research for a book. They stuck to their argument that the Brophys had the perfect marriage, that Nancy Brophy simply would not have killed her husband. Everybody that knew them um, testified and told jurors that they seemed like a very happy couple and that they didn't seem to have any problems. So, and uh, I think that the defense team got that across very well um, because that was really the testimony. And Nancy herself testified that she loved her husband and that she would never hurt her husband. She adored her husband. She had never met anyone like her husband before because she had been married prior. Uh, she had a previous marriage. But the prosecution introduced another witness who claimed to have had a conversation about the murder with Nancy Brophy behind bars. Andrea Jacobs was a former cellmate. She told jurors she was previously housed with Crampton Brophy and they became friends. Jacobs said she and Nancy spoke on a daily basis. The state says Jacobs told detectives that Crampton Brophy told her she was feet away from her husband when he was killed. Jacobs told jurors she did not want to testify in this case and her testimony is not benefiting her own case. She told me that he was shot two times to the heart and um, that, it, and she showed me the distance. She said he was shot two times to the heart and she said it was about, and she used her arm span because I said, wow, that's must have been close up, you know, and she used her arm span and said, well, it was about this far and that's... Nancy's defense team questioned Jacobs' credibility because Jacobs has been charged with fraud and identity theft. That was interesting because it's like this, this cellmate, Andrea Jacobs, obviously has a long history of fraud. Um, she has faced fraud charges. She is serving um, a sentence now for fraud. And it's almost like, okay, should the jurors believe her? Are the jurors going to believe this woman? She claimed that Nancy, they were cellmates, and she, Andrea Jacobs claimed that Nancy told her that she was standing in arm's length, pretty much, uh, just a few feet away from her husband 
uh, when he was murdered. That is what Andrea Jacobs told jurors that Nancy Brophy told her while they were, you know, in jail together. So maybe jurors did believe that Nancy might have slipped up and, and said something to this woman. Throughout the month of April, we'd hear ongoing testimony as the prosecution hammered away at the state of the Brophy's finances. We heard about inappropriately high insurance premiums and what Nancy Brophy could have gained from her husband's death. We heard testimony from a detective who testified about the minivan and the surveillance video. And Daniel Brophy's father, son, and mother testified on the stand. Karen Brophy recalled the day that Nancy Brophy called her multiple times to tell her what she was hearing and that her son Daniel had been shot killed. You know, after she said that, I don't remember what, if there was any more conversation. I was absolutely devastated. Karen Brophy added that Nancy did not want to go down to the crime scene at first. I said to her, well, are you going to go down there? And she said, no, I'm not going to go because there'd just be a lot of policemen there and a lot of cars. I'm not going to go. Later that day, jurors also heard from one of Brophy's good friends and one of Daniel Brophy's co-workers. She said she called Nancy the morning of the murder to check on Dan, just as she was hearing news that something was happening at the Culinary Institute. So I called her on her cell phone. Uh, and I explained what had happened and asked her if she'd heard anything. And she said, she kind of laughed and she said, no, you know Dan. Uh, he would never call me. I'd, I'd have to wait until he came home to find out what happened. On April 21st, the prosecution rested. And after a delay in the trial due to a positive COVID-19 test result in the courtroom, the defense delivered their opening arguments in early May. The defense started with a landscaper who knew Nancy and her husband, Daniel. The landscaper told jurors that he never heard the couple argue before while he was working on their home back in 2018. Did you ever notice anything that you considered serious discord or bickering or anything like that? Another witness, Nicole Barlow, who's a volunteer for the trauma intervention program, told jurors she met with Nancy the day of her husband's murder. I didn't see her. I heard her. Tell, tell us when you first became aware of her presence there and what happened. Uh, when she came on scene, um, I heard her crying and screaming loudly. Another witness, Tamara Alva, who's a friend of the Brophy's, testified that Nancy was falling apart after her husband's death. She was in shock. You know, she didn't say much, much after that. It was kind of like a in shock. And I said, Nancy, listen, I'm going to let you go. You just get go out, get in your car, and get down there. And finally, we heard from Nancy Brophy herself. On the stand, she said she missed her husband, calling him smart, bright, funny, kind, and humble. You're just not as good as you were when you were with him. When you were with him. You were the best you could be when you were together with him. Emotional testimony as Nancy Crampton Brophy took the stand in her own defense. She's accused of shooting and killing her husband, Daniel Brophy. On Monday morning, Nancy spoke about what it's been like to live the past four years without Daniel. Now, it's like, yeah, I function, but there's something missing. When Nancy took the stand, she was proven to be a very talkative person and very 
elaborate and and just very talkative. She was not coy at all. She was, it's like she just had to get her story out. And I just don't think she could have helped herself. Um, And I don't think she's the type of person to just be quiet. There's not enough financial reason there to make it. I do better with Dan alive financially than I do with Dan dead. There's no financial gain here. Well, the state mentioned several times that it seemed like Nancy came across like arrogant or maybe she thought that she was the smartest person in the room. Uh, She was very confident, it seemed. I'm reconstructing this, but I'm reconstructing this based upon what I know in my heart. And what I know in my heart is the reason why I have no memory is because I was stunned by the fact Dan was dead. And I wouldn't have been stunned if I'd been in the building and shot him. There were a lot of holes in her story. Um, She seemed to have selective memory. She seemed to not want to remember certain details of probably, you know, one of the most important or saddest days of her life, so she says. But she would remember other details from trips long ago that she took with her husband 20 years ago, talking about how delicious the food was on a cruise that they took or I don't know. Um, It's almost like she could remember some details about her life, but others she couldn't. Um, It was interesting because at at some points, you know, she seemed almost like she was joking or having a good laugh when talking about memories of her husband. And then sometimes when the state would ask her more serious questions, she would change her emotions a little bit and become sad. So it's hard to trust Nancy Brophy and uh, her testimony. And that's exactly what Karen Brophy said, uh, Daniel's mother, that it was hard to believe her. She's, I think that she's just hard to believe. We chose happiness over anything else. And so if he's happy and he's not making as much money, that didn't bother us, you know. When I told you, Dan, thought outside the box and maybe didn't even lived outside the box. Yeah. Uh, but I would say I did the same, you know, we made choices that other people wouldn't have made. I feel like one of the most damning things was she admitted when she testified to being in the area. At first she said she didn't remember driving around that morning, but then she, she testified the next day that she does remember. And she admitted to being in her van in the area around the time of the murder. They had her on surveillance and they couldn't exactly make out who was driving the vehicle. um, But it was Nancy's van. And on the stand, Nancy admitted to being in the area. Finally, um, after the state pressed her about it. I was driving around for a full hour before Dan got murdered. I was down there before Dan ever got to school. I was driving around riding for a full hour. I was only in that vicinity for six minutes. Finally, in late May, both sides presented their closing arguments in the case. The prosecution started out with talking about how Nancy Crampton Brophy lied about her whereabouts the morning of the murder. And the prosecution says that the motive behind this murder was money. The person who went in there also was not just lucky. A random attack that just happened to be at the exact same time that Nancy Brophy was at the Culinary Institute the exact same time and using the exact same weapon 
same make and model and caliber that Nancy Brophy happened to own. Nancy is guilty of murdering her husband and it is now up to you to, to deliver the justice for Chef Dan Brophy and the rest of the Brophy family. Nancy Crampton Brophy's defense started talking about her love for her husband and how she would never harm her husband. The bottom line is that Nancy Brophy was far better off, far, far better off with Dan Brophy in her life. Even if you look at it just in pure economic terms, even if you ignore the love, even if you ignore all of those intangibles that couldn't go into that calculation, she was better off with Dan alive. This love that Nancy and Dan had for each other, it was no mere possibility. It was the best proven fact in this trial. If there's any reasonable possibility Nancy Brophy is not guilty, you must give her the benefit of the doubt, and you must, you are required under our system of laws to return a verdict of not guilty. The judge instructed the jury that the decision would have to be unanimous to reach a guilty verdict. And on a Tuesday morning, they left the courtroom to begin deliberations. They'd continue into the next morning. And then before noon that day, they returned with the verdict. Count one, murder in the second degree, guilty. Nancy Brophy was found guilty of murdering her husband, Daniel, almost four years to the day that Daniel Brophy was killed. Following the verdict, Daniel Brophy's mother said she'd been praying for justice. I've had a struggle believing Nancy. Um, she was our daughter-in-law for a long time. And when she was arrested, it was a great surprise to us until we found out that she hasn't been truthful with us either. Through the trial, Portland has learned that our son was a great guy, you know, and we really miss him. And it's, it's been a, um, a heartwarming experience in that way. Nancy Brophy's stepson, Nathaniel Stillwater, was also in the courtroom when the verdict came down. Uh, to finally have some closure is, has been very important and meaningful for our family. And, um, feel that we can start to kind of move on and remember my father always, but, but begin that process of starting to grieve. On June 13th, Nancy Brophy was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Daniel Brophy's son, Nathaniel, said Nancy Brophy lied for years about what happened to his father. He read his statement in court at Nancy Brophy's sentencing hearing. The pain you have delivered to us is immeasurable. Your theft of a parent and grandfather for such selfish reasons is unforgivable. You were, to borrow from your catalog, the wrong wife. You are a monster, and I am ashamed that I have to admit to my children that people like you walk amongst us. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, this is Reed Redmond joining Will to talk a bit more about this story Will, this is a case that I'd been following at a distance. It seems like before the trial, so much attention was being placed on that How to Murder Your Husband essay from back in 2011. If our listeners had heard one thing about this case prior to listening to this episode, it was probably that detail. Can you talk a little bit more about the judge's decision in this trial not to allow that to be used as evidence? Right. And as as we mentioned, he agreed that the blog post that she wrote back in 2011, would not be permitted. Simply put, and this is you know fairly straightforward, he said the post was old. It was written for a writing seminar 
And any value it might have to the case, he said, is outweighed by the prejudice it may cause in the jury. So, you know, that was the judge's decision. The blog post was not allowed. As it turns out, the jury didn't even really need that as evidence. They had other other uh, evidence and themes and ideas that they considered in their verdict. Another detail I wanted to ask you about, the ghost gun kit that Nancy Brophy ordered that the defense claimed she bought as research for a book. Was that ghost gun ultimately ruled out as potentially being the murder weapon? Or what else can you tell us about that ghost gun? Before I get into it, first of all, anyone who's not familiar, ghost guns, we're hearing more and more about them. They're guns that don't contain a serial number. They're unregistered and therefore untraceable. Prosecutors outlined during the trial how she visited ghost gun websites numerous times. And eventually she did buy a ghost gun kit. My understanding is that she just didn't have the skills necessary to build that gun. Uh, and so it went unused. She went on to buy a Glock 17 9 millimeter, and then she later on bought an aftermarket slide and barrel for that gun uh, to replace the one that was already in it. I'm not sure exactly why, but so the, you know there was there were there were two guns involved, and in fact, the defense claimed that Daniel Brophy knew about I, I, I believe both guns that that she had purchased. Certainly the ghost gun. The defense claimed that that he was aware that she had ordered it uh, and that it, it wasn't being put together by either one of them. Her attorneys acknowledged she visited the ghost gun sites and that she had purchased the two firearms. And again, the defense maintained she was doing research for one of her books. And they called to the stand at least two other writers who also had bought odd things to support their writing, including, get this, a large crossbow and a chastity belt. So Pretty strange items, but you can imagine for researching a book, sure, maybe you'd order something like that. The defense also pointed out that Nancy Brophy herself had purchased other items to support her writing, like night vision goggles, a telescope, handcuffs, glass doorknobs, and many kinds of locks. It's not often that we hear testimony from a defendant in a murder trial. In one of the the clips that we heard, Nancy Crampton Brophy said something along the lines of, I would be better off financially if Dan were still here. We know that the couple's financial struggles were at the center of the prosecution's case. What else did Nancy say about that in her testimony? Did she address that any further? Well, I can tell you that the prosecution would probably disagree with her statement in that particular instance. But briefly, she did say that the couple had struggled financially, specifically from 2014 to 2017. But they had a plan to sell their home and buy a smaller property to catch up on debt and mortgage payments. So... She you know, essentially testified that they were making a plan together to deal with this issue and that they had purchased life insurance policies for both of them as part of their retirement planning. Uh, you, you might recall they were 63 and 68 years old in 2018, so they were getting on in years and retirement uh, was certainly looming at that time. So that is what she said on the stand. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks as well to Brian Clerkley at KGW for helping us cover this story. And a reminder once again that we will be taking a few weeks off and we'll be rejoining you in August. So have a good month of July. We'll be back in August with all new cases and all new stories.